Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina Wilson. I'm a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all in family ministry. I'm passionate about making Christ and his church famous, and I'm also passionate about helping people develop an open-ended commitment to reading the entire word of God and doing it again and again and again. We are launching today into season three of this Step Into Scripture podcast, where we are going to be presenting a mini-series on marriage, and we're going to approach this topic through the lens of the book Song of Solomon in Scripture. So I'm so excited that today I have someone very special joining me. This is my friend and mentor, Allison Harris. So Allison, if you don't mind, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Allison Harris, and I'm from The Crossing in Quincy, Illinois. Um, I also am married to a pastor for 40 years, and I'm still alive to tell about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have four grown children and five perfect uh, grandchildren. So, and I'm so thankful that Tina had invited me to talk about the Song of Solomon. Really, of all the books, <laughs> I get this one. Yeehaw! Thank Let's do you. it. Thank you so much for being part of this. And my daughter Reagan is back with us for this episode. Reagan, if you don't mind, go ahead and introduce yourself to. My name is Reagan Wilson. Again, I'm 18 years old. I serve and work at our home church, Ecclesia Christian Church. I run our social media, and I use my free time to do my own uh, social media ministry where I take on countercultural topics and I talk about them from a biblical and a worldly perspective and talk about what the Bible has to say about each of those things. And tell people how they can find that. Uh, You can find me on all platforms under the Reagan Grace. All right. Thank you, Reagan. So we are going to jump right into this. We are going to break down the book of Song of Solomon chapter by chapter to walk through each phase of romantic relationships. And we are starting where we believe the book of Song of Solomon starts, which is in the dating or courtship phase of a romantic relationship. So, Reagan, we've asked you to join us specifically on this episode because this is the phase of relationship you're in, Mm -hmm. the dating phase. Do you want to talk about that, the relationship that you have, that you're a part of? Sure. So I'm in a relationship. I've been in one for about a year and a half. Um, it's one of my closest friends in the whole world. Uh, we love to go to church together, to serve together, and we try to make sure at all times that Jesus is the center of our relationship, and it's a whole lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. We are going to jump right into the book of Song of Solomon. Again, we're starting at the very beginning in chapter one, but before we start reading, we want to dig a little bit into the context here, and I know, Allison, you've done some of the legwork. Do you mind just share with us sure. some context? So Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, however you grew up reading it, they're, they're kind of interchangeable that way. Um, this is a great book. Uh, we got to get rid of the stigma that this is like this, you know, sexy book. It is a sexy book, but it's also got some really cool stuff in it. So 950 BC is where we think that it was, uh, where it was written. Um, it's either written by Solomon or by some people in honor of Solomon. Um, I'm tend- I tend to, to lean that way because I'm like going, all right, Solomon. If Solomon wrote it, he wrote it when he was still young because the guy had 300 wives. Let's talk about that. And 700 concubines. So this had to be when he was still young and he was still paying attention to just one or one at a time. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, 
the Hebrew name is Song of Songs. And if you didn't know, uh, Solomon's name in Hebrew is actually Shlomo. So Solomon sounds like this awesome, strong name. But really, if you were in Hebrew, his name is Shlomo. Like Slomo. Yeah, like Slomo with a sh in there. So <laughs> Slomo. So yeah, it kind of takes the, you know, ooh out of it. But <laughs> anyway. This this book is is it was written to Jews to honor and celebrate. Hear those words: honor and celebrate God's gift of romance, and even eros, uh, which God created. I need us to remember that some of us have been burned by this eros type of love. Some of us run away from it. Some of us are very uncomfortable. I need us to accept the fact that God made this. He wants this. So. Um, we're going to elaborate on different Greek words for love, but this in this book, it's eros. This is love poetry. Remember, this is not theology. This is poetry. Yeah. So we're not going to take it literal word by word. We're going to understand the gist of what it was at the time. Some of these words are going to be weird, and some of these words are going to like go, excuse me? Stick with us. We'll get through it. But it's poetry. So if you're into poetry, great. If you're not into poetry... We're going to learn to get into poetry. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a little challenging yeah. in this book. So a lot of the language that we're going to find in this poetry does mirror language that we find in other ancient Near Eastern love poems. And so this is fitting for that time and that context that you described. A major difference in Song of Solomon and other ancient Near Eastern love poems, though, is that this one does not contain any elements of immorality. Right. Any sex outside of marriage, that's what we're going to be referring to when we say immorality or any cultic love or sex practices, right. orgies, um, sex in the context of temple prostitution or sex as an act of worship to a false deity. And so, yeah, this is God's way. It's mm -hmm. God's way of doing things. And I'll just throw back to what you said. First Kings 11.3 says of Solomon... He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. So this does sometimes present a problem where we go, how in the world, if Solomon wrote this, or if it's written about Solomon, how can anything having anything to do with Solomon be about a sacred, monogamous love relationship? But I want to just present to you that in the same way that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, and gave us all kind of... Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Yeah, wisdom about life. Right. He writes Proverbs, and we get wisdom there. Even though Solomon didn't always live like he had special wisdom given to him directly by God, he did. That was a gift that God gave Absolutely. him. And so he is uniquely equipped to write about principles of how things mm -hmm. should be, even if he doesn't always live them out. And that's really true of us. How often do we have wisdom and knowledge mm -hmm. and we know the right thing to do, but we don't always choose the right thing Absolutely. to do? Absolutely. Every time I drive through Dairy Queen, <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. That didn't happen. <laughs> so let's talk about the structure of this book a little bit, because this is really interesting. Song of Solomon is built on a chiastic framework, and that's something that we've looked at previously in this podcast in the book of Job. We've seen it in the book of Revelation, and even the Bible as a whole has a chiastic structure. So when we talk about this, we are looking at a framework 
where there is a center point, a climactic center, and the points leading up to that are paralleled in the points that follow that in, in an inverse parallel structure. Mm-hmm. So sometimes this is called reverse parallelism, chiastic structure. And so, you know, I would encourage you maybe just look this up on your own. I wish we had just a diagram that we could show you the chiastic structure of the Book of Song of Solomon. But the reason I'm bringing it up here is I want to make the point that the climactic center, the place where this structure hinges, is found in chapter 4, verse 16, and then into chapter 5, verse 1. And we're going to read those verses as we come to them, but what you need to know about them right now is that those are the consummation verses. So in episode 1, we're going to look at a dating relationship. In episode 2, we're going to look at how that relationship progresses into engagement. And then in episode 3, we're going to talk about marriage and consummation, And that is the climax of this book. So that's interesting that the climactic center is the marriage consummation. That's kind of sexy Bible talk. Okay. Reagan's so happy to be here. She's so happy. (laughs) You're all right, Reagan. (laughs) So so you can think of this as if we were making an alphabetical pattern out of it, the pattern would be like A, B, C, B, A. So there's a climactic center and the the structure is moving out from that center and the climactic center of this is the consummation. And so when we say that this poem doesn't contain immorality, what we mean is it is building until that consummation of the marriage, that sexual encounter that doesn't come until after this couple that is speaking through this book is in a committed covenant marriage. Mm -hmm. And then we move out from there and we'll look more at what married life looks like after that initial time in the later episodes of this mini series. So Song of Solomon then gives us a picture of attraction, which we're going to talk about today, that leads to marriage, which we're going to talk in the next two episodes. And it's filled with risk, with pursuit, with separation, and with reunion. So here's just an overall layout. Chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 5, open with the story of attraction, pursuit, and courtship. Chapter 3, verse 6 through chapter 5, verse 1, show marriage and consummation. Chapter 5, verses 2 through 7, describe a panic of separation Chapters 5, verse 8 through chapter 6, verse 13 depict reunion and love being renewed. And then chapters 7 and 8 express the strengthening of commitment as love deepens, that long-term faithfulness. And I'm excited for us to get to that part too. So I love the way that this book walks us through every aspect of relationships and trials, even friends and family who can be an interference who can become a stumbling Mm -hmm. block in our relationships or even try to separate us at time. We have pictures of intimacy and desire that define the marital relationship that God intends for his people. Like you said, it's not something bad. It's not something gross. This is, this is what God wants our marriage to look like. Right. And what a gift that he depicted it for us poetically and explicitly really Uh in this book that we have. So, We're going to move through chapter one in this episode, this dating and courtship phase. So, Reagan, since this is 
your relationship phase. This is where you are at romantically. Why don't you open us with the reading from these first few verses in chapter one? Okay, so Song of Songs starts out where um, in some and some of you have Bibles, and I have my this Bible with me, and there are sections where it says she, section that say he, section that say chorus, because remember this is poetry, and sometimes poetry is sung and sometimes it's spoken. So it, this is not just one person the whole time. So Reagan's going to read some verses, and, and the first part of it will be from the woman's point of view, and another one will be the friends or the chorus, depending on what your Bible says, and then go back to the woman. So, Reagan, you're going to do one, one through four. Okay, so it says, Woman, Solomon's song of songs, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let him. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Friends, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Woman, how right they are to adore you. So in this passage, the woman is the main character and the main speaker, and that's a unique attribute about this book. What I love about this book is that um, first off, God creates this and he just speaks it out. Secondly, in that culture, women didn't say anything. So for a woman to be able to say something is a big deal. Yeah. Right. So A, you're allowed to be attracted. If you, if you stumble over that, God's showing you. It's okay to be attracted, attractive and attracted. And God wants you to do that, no matter what culture you've been in all through time. This is the great thing about this book, is it sup it's cultural, it's poetry, but it also supersedes culture. So you see from what Reagan said that she is attracted to him. And so we're going to take the win there. And she desires intimacy with him. Now understand what that means in that culture. Yeah. In that culture... You can't go up, a, a woman cannot go up to a man and just start talking to him. That would be like, okay, now she gets stoned to death for that. Oh, <laughs> you know, you, she can't do anything but appreciate what her eyes see. And so she writes it down in some kind of poetic form, but that's really all she can do at this point um, because she just can't go. She's, so she's talking about her feelings, which is fine. And God created attraction. And God creates intimacy. And God creates privacy. So in that culture, you can go up and give your brother a hug. You can give your uncle a hug. You can give your great uncle a hug that you see two times a year. But that guy that you think is attractive, you can't hardly even look at him without getting in trouble. So that's when she says she wants to be alone with him. She's never alone with him until they're married. That's the culture of anybody at that time. No matter if you are wealthy or poor, you are not, that is not allowed. That is not culturally accepted. She calls him king. Solomon was the king, so maybe this is about Solomon. Maybe it's, now remember, it's poetry. Maybe it's a figurative king. Maybe he's the king of her heart, or the, it's the, he's, a, he's a king in her eyes, or she just wants to lavish him with respect and calls her a king. We're not quite sure there, but, um, you know, I... Is, is somebody writes, he's my Prince Charming. That would yeah. be kind of a king thing. Right, right. So I think it's interesting talking about this topic because obviously um, attraction is different in marriage and then in dating. And obviously you're not just going to, I mean, 
do what you want to do. But personally, I'm not just going to date someone that I think is a scrub that I'm not (laughs) attracted to. But at the same time, you know, there are different perspectives. There's a biblical and a correct perspective, and then there's a worldly perspective for how you go about um, managing and going through those relationships when you are attracted to to the other person. And so I do think that because we live in a world and a society where young people, especially people around my age, uh, have just sort of succumbed to the idea that uh, you just, if you're attracted to someone, you just do what you want to do and then you keep moving on. That doesn't put you in a relationship with that person. That doesn't mean that you feel any sort of way toward that person. But um, it's something that I think is more popular and more normalized now. But I hear from people all the time and see people post stuff all the time. And we just live in a generation, honestly, what they call it is, it's called the hit it and quit it thing. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. it just means like you do something with somebody and you're done with them and that's that's it. You think they're cute, you're attracted to them and you know, you get what you want from each other and then you're done with them after that. You don't keep in contact. And not only is that the complete opposite of what God wants our relationships to look like, but it's detrimental to people in general and their yeah. emotional state, their physical state and it's just it's just an awful way to live. And so being in a relationship where we put our relationship with God above our relationship with each other, and we make that our number one priority. There are things that are struggles and that are difficult, but we also have an understanding with each other and with God that if we are patient and if we are honorable to God in the time that we are dating each other, then our relationship as a married couple will be a lot more successful because we were honorable to God and did what he wanted us to do when we weren't yet married, if that makes sense. So even if it's not popular, and even if there are times that things are difficult, um, we always try to set parameters and set boundaries that will help us not cross those lines that we know we shouldn't cross. So there are times that um, if we want to hang out, I'll just say, well, well, let's just go watch a movie with my family, or let's just eat a meal with your family. And then after that, we'll go home, we'll go our separate ways, we'll talk to each other, you know, whatever. But we try to set certain boundaries and parameters where we don't allow ourselves to have the type of freedom to do whatever we want to do because when you're in a relationship like that, you know, there are times that it can be difficult for people to not make decisions in the moment that they'll later regret. So uh, something that I do and I would encourage other people to do, and you guys have taught me to do this, is just to set those boundaries and hold yourself accountable to those boundaries and not let yourself just be influenced by what you want to do in the moment or what other people are doing or what it's popular to do, but to stick to your boundaries because something mom has always taught me is that when you are faithful to God in your dating relationship, God will bless you in your marriage. So if I, I, I strongly think that if I uh, am in a relationship where I'm dating someone and I'm just going all about doing all these things I want to do, then God is going to let me bear the fruit of that in my marriage. So if I'm in a sexual or sexually immoral dating relationship, I don't think that I would be much surprised later on if I'm in a marriage where sexual immorality is a struggle of ours. Because if it's not something that I was able to hold fast to my boundaries to in a dating relationship, then I can't expect my partner to do that in a marriage. That's a great point. And so that's something that we really prioritize. And we even allow our families to be help, or help us prioritize by uh, explaining our boundaries and having them be part of our boundaries. But um, it is something that's difficult and that people normalize in our culture and say it's just something that you do. But I have found that I think you build a much deeper relationship and a much stronger connection when that's not the basis of what you do. I have a lot of friends in relationships and um, they'll 
talk about different relationships that they're in and how they argue or how they have like these horrible fights or something like that but then they're completely fine the next day and I don't have to wonder why are they completely fine the next day because I know how they made up but if you make up for your problems in that way then you're not actually making up for your problems um and so to me it's very confusing when people make that the basis of their relationship because you know when you're old and 85 and you're not kicking it like that that's not gonna be how you solve your problems so I'm trying to create you know (laughs) a standard in my relationship where we communicate and we solve problems and we understand things and we don't just run to one thing every time we want to be able to connect with each other or every single time we want to be able to make something right because again when I'm old and wrinkly that's not going to be how it works well and I love that you're speaking to the idea of managing attraction not denying attraction because I do think something that we can inadvertently accidentally do sometimes Mm -hmm. in Christian homes is is make our kids feel like sexual attraction is bad Mm -hmm. right and and that's a message that that I think we can receive so much at home that Mm -hmm. then when we are married Mm -hmm. And there is not a boundary around Mm -hmm. what we can do with each other physically. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a hard time getting over the idea that's been imprinted on us Mm -hmm. for our entire upbringing that sexual attraction is bad, is sinful. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not sinful. It just needs to be managed. And it's time. Yes. And it's time. Which we'll see in this book. It actually is talked about quite a bit. Now, something I love also from what you shared there, Reagan, from those four verses that you read, is this woman says, no wonder all the young women love you. Right. How right they are to adore you. Mm -hmm. Because this is important. I mean, how many people do you know who young women, your age, they're in relationships, you see it. Right. Everyone around them sees it. Right. This guy... Is a, loser. a bum. He's a scrub. I see that all the time, and I'm like, girl, if you if you would just listen to me, if you would just pay attention to what I'm saying, because I can point it out all day. But when they're so wrapped up in what they're doing and what they want to do that they don't see it, I'm like, girl, listen, just open your eyes, like it's right in front of you. But it is it is good that you pointed out in that scripture. They said like the other women like him too. So I have sisters. Uh, I have five sisters. So there's a lot of us, and there are times that one sister will like a guy. And the rest of the sisters will be like, oh, girl, no, we don't approve of that. And it's kind of a thing in our house, like, if you want to do something, you got to consult the sisters. It's like <laughs> the secret society. And so they got to come to me. I got to come awesome. to them. We got to talk about it. And so especially if it's something like a guy, if you're going to be, you know, crushing on a dude, you got to consult the sisterhood first. And so there, there have been times when one of the sisters is like, oh, y'all, that's my man. And I'm like, no, he's not because, you know, I don't approve. And uh, if a lot of your friends, if any, you should you should wonder, but if a lot of your friends or your close-knit circle are saying no to this guy, like, girl, don't do it, there's probably a reason why. Yeah, yeah what are they seeing that you're not? Right, right. exactly. Yeah. There's probably, like, a, you have the rose-colored glasses on and yep. you need to take them off. But all the girls like this guy, and he's not a project that she's got to try to save or fix or make him any different. They all like him. Yeah. So in verses 5 through 6, it says, Woman... Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Keter, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Okay. So at first you're reading that and you're like going, what? But what it really is talking about here is... um, 
for instance, in our culture, or at least when I, when I was younger, tanning beds were a big deal. You did not want to be light. Yeah. The darker you could be, the better. Yes. So everybody went to the tanning bed, and that was the thing. That was fashion. And, okay, well, then a culture before that would be, all right, everybody has to be super light, not dark at all. What she's saying here in this one is that she has dark skin not because uh, she chooses to. She dark skin because she has to work. So yeah. she's a working girl, not a good working girl. She's working in the fields. So what she's really saying is that her brothers were mad at her, which means she had to go out and work in the fields, and she could not take the vineyard, take care of the vineyard, which is this vineyard, herself, mm -hmm. her body image. Yeah. And had she done that, maybe she would have been lighter. You know, and then some people would find that terribly attractive. Hey, she's a hardworking girl. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. Let This is awesome. And other would people say, no, she has to be the princess, and she has to be fair-colored, and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. everybody's attracted to something different. But this is her, this is her reasoning for that. So she just is not living up to what is the more common cultural beauty standard of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I like that about her because she makes, it makes her someone we can relate to. Absolutely. Right? Because we are inundated mm -hmm. with images of women on screens right. and they aren't working women. Mm -hmm. They're celebrities. They have personal trainers. They right. have private chefs. They have personal shoppers and stylists. And, as or if you're looking at them out on a screen, how many filters are on, what's right. the view, what's the lighting, you know, that type of thing. How as many edits woman, were done. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard to live up to right. that. Right. And, and I love her vulnerability here where she's saying, yeah, I, I know that I am not on, on point yep. with the beauty standard of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something I think it's always been an issue and probably always will be till Jesus comes back yeah. because there's never not a high expectation of women. And I'm sure for men there is too, but especially in the world of looks, that's always a thing for women. And it's something that every woman at some point is going to struggle with. Yeah. And it's something that people are always going to look at when they look at women. It's just what's been sort of like ingrained into our minds. And um, especially in a world where social media and technology are very prevalent it's become a super big thing. There's like a, a magazine that people post about all the time and every year they release like a woman of the year. And that woman of the year is the beauty standard, like updating us on what are the trends? What should women look like? Should your, eyebrow, should your eyebrows be thick or thin or should your lips be full or not full or should you be thin or should you be like thick? Like it's what, it, what the times mm -hmm. are changing. What should women look like? Yeah. But every single time without fail, the woman who is the woman of the year, who is the beauty standard She's not just a regular woman. She's a woman who's an influencer who doesn't have a day job. She's a woman who uh, has work done constantly, which, you know, not hating on that, but it's not just, she's not just her. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have the same expectations as many other women. She's never had to work a nine to five, all kind of crazy stuff. And so that's considered the beauty standard and the expectation for what women should look like, but it's just unachievable for the average woman. Well, yeah. and we need to mention here Mm -hmm. along these lines, how damaging porn is. Yeah. Because that's where people are often inundated with the most unrealistic images. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The most unrealistic fantasy world right. surrounding romance and sex mm -hmm. and attraction and relationship. Um, and, you know, I feel like I constantly hear mm -hmm. stats about how prevalent this has become, mm -hmm. about how... 
um, it's no longer just a man problem like it's maybe not, historically it is it's true. been. It's not just a man mm-hmm. problem anymore. It's a it's a woman problem right. too. So, uh, like Reagan said, mm-hmm. she has five sisters. I have six daughters. As a mom of girls, and four of those girls are in the teenage to young adult season right now. Mm-hmm. Something I have to talk to them about constantly is is the dangers of porn, Mm -hmm. how easily it can be stumbled into. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you click on the wrong thing and and Mm -hmm. you can become inundated with these images. And not only can that become addictive and something that that you feel tempted to look at for your own pleasure, Mm -hmm. but it can completely destroy your reality for your own body image. Right. And it can destroy your relationships. Yes. I watched a video this past week and it, it's just this trend where girls will get on social media and they'll make a video and say like, oh, these are the things that my ex-boyfriend said to me or that my old friend said to me. It's just these absolutely crazy things that you would never picture someone saying to another person. It's like, wow, that's crazy. And this girl was with her current boyfriend and she it was just this random video and she was like, uh, I'm telling my boyfriend all the things my ex-boyfriend said to me. And he was like this horrible guy, supposedly. And one of the things she said, she said, the first time I was ever intimate with my ex-boyfriend, and it was the first time I'd ever done anything with anyone, he said, oh, well, this is nothing like porn. And then he broke up with her. Wow. Yeah. So that that is that is a major problem that we just need to make sure we address as we're right. talking about self-image. This girl in, in Song of Solomon mm-hmm. is in touch with, with the beauty standard. She yep. recognizes that she's not mm-hmm. necessarily up to it. She's admitting that, right. and and we just I feel like are at such a greater disadvantage in our cultural context today. Yeah, but there's also cool things about this part that I love. First off, she's in touch with who she is. Right. Yeah, right or wrong, good or bad. Yeah, could could have been different. Yeah, would she like to be lighter? Sure, but she's transparent. Chapter yeah. one, man, she's right. just saying this is what I am. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. I wish it could be different. He, but she's, so she's honest, number one, number two, but she's also very honest in the fact that she, she knows what quality is. Mm-hmm. She knows what she's attracted to yes. and, and she's loving it. Yeah. And I'm like, she's being honest about it or right. she's being poetic about it or whatever, mm-hmm. but she's acknowledging it yes. and she's not trying to over spiritualize it. She's just, right. it's just poetry and mm-hmm. she's just coming out with it and right. she's frustrated. She wished she could do more and she can't. What honest great feelings to have sure. no matter what culture mm-hmm. you're in and no matter if you can touch the guy's hand or you can talk to him or you can't mm-hmm. you know it this is the great part about this part of, of song it's uh, super song raw right? yeah super yeah. raw all right reagan keep going okay so in verses seven and eight it says woman tell me you whom i love where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday why should i be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends Friends, if I or if you do not know, most beautiful of women follow the tracks of sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. So she's going to see him at work, and you know this is a big deal when we're dating. We want to get every moment together that we can. We want to hang out as much as possible, or at least we should want that. Um, and if you're not seeking out time together, both of you, uh, that's a red flag. When I first got into a relationship, I had never had a relationship before. I didn't just date how a lot of people do it. I didn't just date whoever I wanted to date. Um, you know, I've always had a very close relationship with my parents. And so I was kind of nervous. I was like, guys, I kind of like this guy. Like, what should I do? So when I first got into a relationship, I was not used to what most people do and just going and just 
hanging out or just going on dates all the time. And I didn't really know how that worked. And so when we were first, you know, getting to know each other and getting a lot closer, he was just like, you don't, you don't make time to hang out with me. You know, quality time together is something that means a lot to me. And I would really appreciate if you would make time to go hang out with me. At that time, I didn't know what, you, what was okay to do in relationships. What, and so I was like, I'm not allowed. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. My parents won't allow me to hang out with you. And he was like, that doesn't make sense if I'm dating you. He was like, just ask them if we can hang out. He's like, I'll come hang out with your family. You can come hang out with my family. And I was like, oh no, sorry, not allowed to do that. And he was like, just ask. And so then one day I was like, mom, um, he wanted to know if we could hang out. I, it wasn't my idea. He wanted to, and she was like, okay, yeah, you can hang out. And I was like, wait, we can do that. And so now all the time I'm like, mom, man, he's coming over. Mom, can he come hang out? And so now, you know, it's something that we both want. We want to be able to hang out with each other. But you know, again, you want to do it in the right time, in the right, right space. You want to do it the right way, but I remember at the beginning of my relationship being like, you know what happens when you hang out together. That's how you get pregnant. <laughs> no thanks. But, you know, it's something that you do want to pursue. You want to be able to hang out with each other. You want to make time for each other, especially if it's a relationship where you're building toward marriage because don't want to marry somebody you've never hung out with and you don't really know. That's weird. Well, and I love that she, she wants to know where he's grazing his flocks, right? Yeah. Where, where are you working, Shepard, so I can come and visit you yeah. at work? She's being intentional about wanting to see him. When I was dating my husband, Matt, um, when I had to go away to college mm -hmm. for a year, I drove a thousand miles a week mm -hmm. to come back and see him. I lived 250 miles away from him in a dorm and twice a week I would drive home and twice a week I would drive back. That year- That's amazing. I got mm -hmm. three speeding tickets. I totaled a car, <laughs> but I was trying to spend time with my man. <laughs> Sure. And and yeah, like you yeah. said, if if you're not both seeking that out, mm. that's a problem. Right. I understand why Manny would have thought that was a problem. <laughs> I didn't know that you were afraid to um, ask. If well, you I was just like, um, I don't think that we're, we're Christians. Actually, we don't do that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but look at that healthy respect you have for your parents. Well, that's I, awesome. Girl, I was scared. <laughs> I was like, I never had one of these before. That's I'm not great. sure what I'm supposed that's to so do. That's so great. That's so great. What I love about this verse, though, is so he's, he's talking to her, like what you just read, mm -hmm. and then she's talking to him. And I'm like going... Because back in that culture, women also were shepherds. This is mm -hmm. one area where there was almost a little bit of equality uh -huh. here. So if she's asking him, where are you working? And he's talking about how awesome she is. You don't think she's coming to work as shepherd. She's mm -hmm. probably cleaned up a little bit. Yeah. She's, yeah. you know, she's making the effort. Mm -hmm. And he also is not, ex you know, he took a shower or something. Because, right. you know, sheep stinks. So, you know. <laughs> So literally and figuratively, <laughs> Allison, you and I can kind of get this because this is this is like our scenario. You and I have both worked with our husbands. Yep. And sometimes uh, people tell me, women have told me before, I don't know how you can work with your husband. Mm -hmm. That would drive me crazy. And listen, everyone is in a different scenario, walking in a different calling. But ladies, I would encourage you to not let that be your default setting that if I had to spend this much time with my husband it would drive me crazy number one that probably is not uh, helpful to him to hear you say that kind of thing right. I mean honestly my husband and I work together but I'm just going to tell you the truth sorry Reagan close your ears but Gosh, no. you know we work <laughs> in the same building awkward but I can be in a different part of this building 
And he's texting me like rendezvous. Like rendezvous at home in 20 minutes. Oh my uh-huh. gosh. You know, Ew. like we're still like we work together and we're still looking for time to spend together. Sure. And if we take on that attitude of I don't want to spend more time together. I don't need to spend more time together. That will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. Right. That is what you will become. There will be a distance that develops. But on the flip side of that, I think the more that you're intentional about and practicing spending time together, any opportunity you get, coming to see each other on your lunch break, Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like in, in your setting, that will grow. That will create Absolutely. a deeper affection between you two. And the and coolest part of this, this is scripture, people. So God's good with this. Yeah, that's right. He created it. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to be, you know, oh, I can't be. I have to be so spiritual. I always, you know, no, God created this. This is good. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you can't, I'm sorry if you came from a background where this, where you're struggling here, we need to talk about that. We will talk about it yeah. in later episodes. But we can just say, it's okay. This is good. Yes. And something I've even thought about before, like, Reagan, you're in a relationship. You're Mm -hmm. in the dating phase. Both of you have your eye on marriage. Mm -hmm. I've thought about the fact that you've never been in a family Mm -hmm. where mom and dad didn't work together. Right. Matt and I have always been a unit, and that's going to look different in your future. Right. So I've wondered, how do I, I've I've talked to your boyfriend's mom. How do I prepare her for this? Mm Because it's going to be different than what she's experienced. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an interesting thing because, like you said, I've grown up with parents who work together all the time, and he's grown up with parents who work separately. And so we both have, like, mm-hmm. a taste of what it's like on the other side. But yeah. we also have, you know, the same goal to pursue God and everything that we do, but we also have different career paths and different ideas for what we want to do. And really there have been a lot of places where we have to sort of compromise, and I don't think there are any bad compromises. But for an example, he's going to medical school. And I do ministry. And so he can't just go be super, well, I mean, he could, but I would not prefer for him to just be super far away at medical school while I'm back at home doing my thing. Because like you said, even though we're not married yet, I still want to be with him all the time. That's like my best friend. And so um, we've had conversations where it's like, well, for you to be able to do this, I'm going to have to do this. But then later you can empower me to do this because of what I did for you. So I might have to work extra and move to support us while he goes to school somewhere. But then when he's done with school and he's, you know, working his career, then he can help empower me and what I want to be able to do. And it's never like a, I did this for you. So you owe me this or anything like that. We'll constantly be able to empower each other and help each other with what we want to do. But at the same time, you do have to sometimes make compromises and step out into what you don't know, because I don't really know how marriages like that work. Yeah. Welcome to adventure. Right. So it's it's definitely gonna be fun, but you know, uncomfortable at times to step out and see how are we going to make this work? Because what worked for someone else isn't going to be the exact same for us. So how are we going to make it work for me and you? Well, I love that you're looking at it that way as empowering one another. And this is a totally different discussion that we can't have now, but Allison, I wish we had time to have it. The idea of our husbands in some seasons empowering and building platforms Mm -hmm. for us so that then we have the space to pursue our passions and shine as ministry wives. That's something that we've been talking about. Yes. And, and that's a great way to look at that, that Mm -hmm. you are taking turns, lifting up, platforming and empowering Mm -hmm. each other for the calling that God has in your life, even if those callings look different. Right. So I think you guys are really onto something there and that's encouraging to hear. 
All right, keep going. Okay, so this is verses 9 through 15. Man, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Woman, while the king was at my table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh between my... Okay, wait, I was not ready for that. Okay, <laughs> my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved to me is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyard of Engedi. Mm -hmm. Okay, man, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes are doves. You guys can go back and read this again later to get the poetic rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. Since I Reagan wasn't is having the poetic rhythm of it. <laughs> is stumbling over <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a, you know, you have to understand the poetry of it. But right. when you, when you go back and think about it a little bit, it gets, it calms. It's not so weird. <laughs> For instance, uh, a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, horses, you know, Egyptian horses were some of the most beautiful of all time. Solomon's stables are still world renowned even today. Wow. So there, his horses were, they ate better, slept better, rested better, worked better than most people would ever dream of. Wow. So it, that was a compliment. You're, you know, uh, women at the wedding in the Middle Eastern concept at the time, more jewelry was the wealthier you were. So to have lots of jewelry is a compliment, you know, that, that he's saying to you. Um, the, the myrrh, myrrh is, a, is an essential oil, and it's also a flower, but it's also very expensive. So for her to say that she is dousing herself in it, that means I'm laying it out here, dude. Mm -hmm. You know, you are, you are worth it. Yeah. I am going to spend, you know, in other words, I'm spending all kinds of money right now <laughs> you know, to, to do that. So, you know, you have to, and, and the henna is, henna blossoms around Angeti is a wildflower. Mm -hmm. So she just dressed herself with wildflowers. And um, your eyes are like doves. Uh, this was a new one to me when I read this. Uh, makeup. That was the word for makeup. Doves, oh. doves was makeup. Wow. So she had some serious, nice eye makeup going on and he that was his thing he was into it <laughs> well and I love that she had said earlier I'm dark I'm not royalty I've had to work but then he is drawing comparisons to uh, the royal horses yeah. and to jewelry that would be a sign of wealth like she's expressed some pretty particular insecurities right, yeah. and he is specifically answering those insecurities yeah Notice how he's also learning to do words of affirmation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Everybody's got a love language. You can't have more than two. If you do, you're, you know, that's going to be really hard on your spouse <laughs> <laughs> to have more than two. But he has somehow figured out this whole words of affirmation thing, and so has she. Yeah. So if that's their love language, mm -hmm. they're tuning in, and, they're, and it's, it's going well. Now, Marriages down the line said, well, man, you know, you were pretty, you know, you used to tell me I looked pretty every day or I used to tell you how handsome you are. Yeah, we got to work on that. But in this particular beginning stages, if he can't, if they both can't get an A plus in this area, yeah, we got problems anyway. So mm -hmm. that's why they can just really soar here. Right. And I love that it's, it's going both ways. Mm -hmm. She's expressing mm -hmm. that affirmation too, like you said. My husband and I spoke together at a marriage conference earlier this year, and we were talking about the importance of words of affirmation. Right. And he said, you know, 
I see you women complimenting each other all the time. I can come to church and a woman may say, oh, your outfit looks great, or I love your hair, or girl, look at those lashes. And my husband said... Mine's always shoes. I always notice I I love shoes. Well, Matt said, you know, I've never once walked in and had a guy tell me, man, your butt looks great in those jeans. (laughs) You know, they're not getting that. And if he does... (laughs) Yeah. But they don't get it the same way we do. And so women, I would encourage you to not just accept the affirmation, but to give it back because, you know, we may get it from our man and from our friends. Mm -hmm. But your man isn't getting it from his friends. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not giving it to him, then he's probably starved for words of affirmation. He will go get it other places. Right. Yeah. So, so you, we need to yeah. be that. We need to do that for our men. So this is verses um, 16 and 17. And it says, Woman, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. Man, the beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. So here in this passage, they're sort of dreaming up the life that they want to create together. And there's an important principle here that we can take note of, and it is that we should date for marriage. And I recently made a video about this on TikTok, and I'm pretty active on there. And people can submit questions to me through messages or through my comments. And I'm doing like a mini series right now where I answer questions from my comments that people want me to talk about. And one of the questions that was submitted was first-time relationships. And because I'm in a first-time relationship, I'm talking about it. And I said something very important in my relationship that I would encourage people to, you know, make a priority in their relationships is that they date for marriage. And I said, I don't think you should be dating somebody at 14 or at 13 or at 12 because at that point you're not going to be getting married to them. Um, And so I said that I think it's really important for people to date with marriage in mind and not just be dating for fun or just to have a good time, but to date with marriage in mind. That way, they're not going to, with absolute certainty, end in heartbreak because they're young or they're too immature or they're not ready for that kind of committed relationship. And so to not put their all into these relationships at 14 or 15 years old that they know aren't going to end in marriage because they're not ready for that kind of long-term, stable relationship yet. So if you can't see yourself building a house with him, don't keep going to dinner with him, if that makes sense. Um, so once we're in love, we kind of go blind. And like I mentioned earlier, we get like those rose-colored glasses. And we don't really see the red flags um, when we're in those relationships. Once we've fallen in love with someone, I heard this quote, and it says, um, when you're wearing rose-colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. Wow. And so That's when good. you're in a relationship where you've given your all to someone and you fall in love with someone, then you kind of become blind to all those things that everyone else could warn you about because then you love him or then you love them and then you don't see those things the same way you would have seen them before you were in love with them so we can mistake red flags for green lights and I heard I heard a funny saying and this girl made a video and she said uh, all my friends keep telling me he has these red flags but lucky for me red is my favorite color it was like oh gosh girl no but if we you know if we stay in relationships like those we end up in a crazy mess and then again they end in heartbreak and then we don't know what to do with ourselves after and We have all these commitment problems or stability problems, and we're just heartbroken and a mess. But we can prevent that by not getting ourselves into relationships that we don't see ending in marriage. Right. If you you and he are not seeing Mm -hmm. this house that you intend to build Mm -hmm. together, and we're not necessarily talking about a physical house Mm -hmm. here. You know, I knew very early on with my husband, Matt, Mm -hmm. 
that he was being called to ministry and I had sort of had some different dreams earlier in in my growing up years mm-hmm. but all of a sudden everything started shifting and and the shift started with my giving my life to Jesus mm-hmm. coming to know Christ being baptized starting a new life and all of a sudden it was like oh this is what I want. Like I want to give my life completely to God and completely to his service. Mm-hmm. And that's the house this man is building. Right, yeah. That is his calling. And that's something I want to walk in with him. We've got to have some common aspirations. Um, Paul talks about it as being equally yoked. And I want to just read you second Corinthians six fourteen and 15. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So I think that's something that we have to consider mm-hmm. right here in the dating phase. Mm-hmm. That's why this is in chapter one is we need to know, do we see ourselves building a life right. and a house with this person with common goals and common aspirations? And if we don't, mm-hmm. then we don't even need to keep dating them. Right, yeah. So that is an overview of Song of Solomon, chapter one, this dating phase. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the importance of attraction, mm-hmm. of longing to be together, mm-hmm. of mutually affirming mm-hmm. One another. God's creativity. God's creativity. Yeah. He thinks this is fun. He's fine with you being detracted to someone. Yes. He's like, you know, thanks, God. Yes. <laughs> so we are going to keep walking through this book in our next episode. We are going to dive into another section of it that has to do with engagement, taking the next steps in mm-hmm. relationships. But for those of you who are listening, who are in dating relationships, who have children who are in dating relationships. Hope you found something helpful here, some wisdom and knowledge inspired by the Holy Spirit and his word that you can pass on to them. So we look forward to seeing you back here next week.